0: This is Radio Fluxus, stories from the Fluxus Archives. In this podcast, we are inviting scholars, artists, curators, conservators, and other art researchers and practitioners to share with us their favorite story about one Fluxus artwork and their views on the use and activation of this particular piece. My name is Aga Viloha, and I'm the postdoctoral fellow in the research project Activating Fluxus, which is located in the Bern Academy of Arts and funded by the Swiss National Science Foundation. Welcome to our first episode. Today, I, together with the project lead Hannah Huling, our hosting conservator Albrecht who will tell us a fascinating story about the work titled Hooked by Fluxus artist Ben Patterson. Albrecht, it is a great pleasure to have you here today, and the floor is yours. Hi out there. This is a hi through space and time, because I'm sending this also into the future as it is being recorded. So as Aga said, my name is Albrecht Kumlisch, or L to make it easy. I'm already over 60, so I scribbled down some notes to remind myself of uh, the work on this amazing item. And it was 12 years ago that it happened, so... Forgive me for my faulty memory. The object is called Hooked, and it's by Ben Patterson. And it was made around 1980. And if I describe it, you may want to close your eyes and better imagine what I may be describing, at least partially. So the object consists of an ordinary tackle box, fish tackle box. It is made of a chocolate brown plastic bottom half with a light gray lid folding back after opening both metal latches at the front of the box. The tackle box is pretty heavy when you lift it. And it's, when you open it, stuffed full with items So it tends to lean backwards when you open it, it actually seems to be tipping because that's how full it is. It tips backward as the mechanism is pushing back the three trays that it contains. Each of the roughly two dozen compartments uh, contain at least one item and I remember vaguely when i worked on the item that the first item i removed was from the top tray it was a rose it was an artificial rose made of plastic and fabric and it was containing a couple of intimidating treble hooks these treble hooks are triple fishing hooks that contained very sharp barbs actually scary a tray below that i found a pair of sunglasses that had uh, two barbed fishing hooks mounted where we would have expected the inoffensive temples to be found. And yet another compartment below contains a syringe. It too contains a mounted fishing hook and a wire. Or the little crucifix at the end of the rosary in another compartment which had treble fishing hooks hanging down from the figure of Christ. And it's becoming clear to me now as I'm handling one object after another that most items in the overly stuffed tackle box are equipped with very sharp fishing hooks. Each selected item in the box may well represent a product or maybe even an activity that any of us might get lured in or hooked on from something as banal as a crushed cigarette pack, or Tylenol painkiller, or, or religion, any religion that you can get hooked on. And there's a, a little sexy doll that is, that sex can be something you might get, get hooked on. And all these items have one or these triple hooks that are incredibly sharp. There are very few exceptions, which are not equipped with uh, mounted hooks. The small Jim whiskey bottle, for instance, or the box at the lowest, largest compartment of the tackle box, which is located right next to a small can of sardines. Ben Patterson made the box in 1980, As he mentioned later, he had thrown in the can of sardines as an add-on for an unlucky fisherman. It turned out that this can of sardines uh, was the most perishable and fugitive, actually almost explosive content. Besides the other things like a roll of candy, which has a sticker reading milk caramels. There were also a toothbrush and an open used half empty tube of toothpaste, which was drying out. Uh, the whiskey bottle that I already mentioned, which contained uh, liquid, and it wasn't full anymore. There was a rubber glove, and we know rubber gloves are not made forever. All that were rather instable uh, materials, but the can itself was l- the least stable of all. We did find an image that we date back to roughly 2002. At that point, the can looked intact. It had no deformation. At one point after that, though, and we don't really know in what year that may have been, an undated request for viewing happened. And we know that because we found a pencil note on the archival clamshell box that is housing the tackle box, which is the art object in itself. So it is housed in an exterior archival box. And on top of this box, we could find the note that was reading, sardine can needs conservation. Um, in 2009, that, that was the time uh, when the research request by the PhD candidate revealed that the can had corroded right through, and it was stinking through hell. The reading room had to be kind of evacuated because it was stinking so badly. A very unusual smell that I do not recall myself ever having smelled. It was getting out of the the archival box. So the, the box was removed immediately and it was brought to conservation. This process then started the usual Uh, Nine yards of that conservation is uh, dealing with documentation. We started communication with the curators um, and of course and uh, the conservation and the restoration process. Once the clamshell, closed clamshell came down to the conservation lab, we opened it in the fume hood because it smelled so badly. My colleagues were looking at me and not liking what they smelled, but we had to unpack it in order to do the usual and necessary photographic documentation. We were looking at the current condition of the origin of the smell, and we were looking at the condition of the items that were housed around uh, the can that had corroded through. The can looked horrific, and the smell did th- the rest. The outer part, at top and bottom, had been corroding through. So I don't think it actually had exploded. It must have bulged, because that's what cans do they, uh, when they decay from the inside out. After after 20 years, it was intact. After 29 years, it was corroded right through. And luckily, when we opened at the time, um, we found that the sardine can was bagged. It had been bagged carefully by somebody uh, in a heavy duty freezer bag, and that turned out to be our saving grace. We also had to separate the content. Everything was removed. Everything that was not smelling or porous was moved to the little photo booths and allowing a little more space for it to air out. And we also had to mitigate the smell and contamination by keeping the fume hot on day and night for weeks. After this immediate action, the communication became important and the curators got in touch with the artists and the artists led to warn us that other institutions may have further additions of this piece and that we could be getting in touch with them We also started the process of research. We wanted to find a a label that would potentially substitute the totally corroded and stained label of the original can, or even find an original can, and knowing that uh, cans and labels changed quickly, we tried to do that online very quickly. In the meantime, we figured or found out about a disease that I had not heard of, but When canned food was much more prevalent than now, a disease called botulism is very common and it's potentially deadly when actually eating boiled food from cans because I don't know if it is a fungus or a bacteria that is developing, but I had not really been in touch with that danger, so we also had to involve our hazmat people at the Getty. The treatment meant uh, disinfecting the old original can because we didn't want the bacteria to spread, of course. So we kept it apart as much as we could, cleaned it uh, with alcohol, and then isolated it. So we knew very early on that um, the original can cannot be kept it not only smelled and stinked to heaven, but it was a question of contamination of the uh, objects in storage and in immediate vicinity of the actual can. So it was out of the question that the original can stays even near the original collection item. So the considerations that we were having was replacement, meaning in the form of a stand-in or substitute can, And the answer was very quickly, yes. And if we decide on a replacement, how do we want to replace it? Do we opt for a photo, a photo of the original can in a flat form? And maybe we could put that photo in the box as a stand-in, or uh, would we try to do a three-dimensional object that would have the same size and roughly the same weight of the original can if we were to find anything that was uh, similar because we uh, couldn't save the majority of the original original label so we couldn't use a new can and the original label because the label had faded and uh, dissolved in fact more than half after deciding that we want to replace the can we got in touch with the artist and we asked her uh, the artist, we asked him for the meaning and the role of this can and um, Ben Patterson's response, as I was told by the curator only because I wasn't directly involved, he was, um, we were told that he was reacting in a very amused way, he was laughing and he was responding that he just threw the can in there for the unlucky fisherman, maybe it was an add-on for himself already. Anyway, he was uh, undetermined in our approach. He didn't really care. He was at ease, whatever we would decide. So we felt uh, we had good reason to uh, go ahead with our decision to put in a three-dimensional object stand-in can and still had to decide whether we want to add a full can that contains fish and uh, that way would just be resetting the timer for the can to pop for so the next can to pop which would have been a somehow funny fluxus like approach as well but considering that we are an archive and we want to keep the rest of the collection safe as well we very quickly considered emptying this new stand can and removing the fish and the uh, perishables of it, cleaning it out well and adding a similar amount of weight. So in the hand, it would be an equivalent of it, and it would be only seen at very close look that it was a stand in and not the original can. We wanted to document the process and the fact that it is not the original. And we decided we want to tell this story. And the, to- the story being told is a very important part of the continued process of- that uh, Ben Patterson had put in place when he put this so-called time bomb in this ta- tackle bar. We also, in terms of treatment, had to do experiments in opening the can that we actually ended up finding, the stand-in can that we uh, decided on trying to empty out. It was uh, important not to leave marks while opening it. We wanted it to look like an unopened can. We decided on opening it at the bottom, not at the top where one would expect it to be open. We experimented with soldering it back closed and all that were test cans that we worked on. We decided soldering is leaving marks that are too obvious and decided adhering it with adhesive would be the better way to go. Of course, we had to mark the can and documenting it as not original. We did so on the can by inscribing it and sizing it at the the bottom and by putting a note and the image of the original can in the tackle box at the very bottom. So future researchers would be alerted that they are not handling the original can, but something that only looks like it. And of course, we were documenting in the conservation files uh, that this was not the original can. The label had faded as if it had been exposed to sunlight. The red color was only visible in the back right over the stamp or, or the imprint where it said product of Japan. So we know original color, so this um, dating that occurred in the dark, but induced by the chemical reaction with the, with the content, had gone almost all around, but it left, luckily, left the a significant part of the front part of the label and this back part, which said, stated product of Japan. And it also stated the company, Roland, Ro, uh, Roland, or Roland uh, uh, Sardines, uh, with the logo of a Sardine, which allowed us to search online for Roland sardines. And the hit of finding that Roland sardines still exist and they're still being manufactured in the same size can uh, was pretty impressive. And the only difference is that now they're not made in Japan anymore or made filled, I guess, but they're made in Thailand. So the new can is reading product of Thailand as opposed to product of Japan. That's one of the differences. Otherwise it is very close to it because we do have this one picture of the original from 2002. We kept the remains of the original uh, label, flattened it. First, we had it in a, a, a flat. We had uh, it soaked with alcohol <laughs> to kill the botulism germs, and we flattened it, dried it, and it is obviously kept in the uh, physical archive in the uh, ring binder. I have an opinion and I I would love to stay it. I find personally that, especially with regard to fluxes, uh, but this is not exclusive to to fluxes, we conservators have to get over it and have to allow um, bare hand handling in a controlled manner. We can reduce the risk by asking people to wash their hands and dry them and at least that way you minimize any sweat that may have on your hands. I think this very occasional, because it's in a controlled manner, because it will not leave the research reading room, um, this very rare handling is not going to reduce the life of the item. It is going to reduce it, but not significantly, and I think the experience is a very relevant experience for them to explain and to write I don't know prose or to be inspired or to make their own art about it and to use this item I think that would be true to the Fluxus. that's the minimum I would say would be true to the Fluxus idea and I would say bare hand handling is acceptable if not desirable if that is out of the question for the archive and the conservation department at the research institute or any conservator today, which is also understandable because it it goes against our principle, then at least handling with nitrile gloves would be something that would be possible. But you have to experience um, the thrill of danger and the very sharp when, when handling the items. And I think you have to handle it. You have to handle them carefully, but you have to handle them. Otherwise, it cannot be experienced. Thank you, Albrecht. Thank you for bringing up this very nice memory. You were listening to Radio Fluxus. You can find more stories from Fluxus archives on our website, activatingfluxus.com. Until next time, goodbye.